0: Listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everyone else, please take your Bible. Open up with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you were with us last week, you already know that this is a different series. It's not your usual, uh, because Ecclesiastes is a unique book of the Bible. Last week, I opened up in chapter 1 with a sermon called The Dirty, Deniable, Not-So-Secret About Reality. And the message of that sermon is also the message of this entire book. It's that life under the sun is empty. And we had two points last week to review. Life is messed up. And the more you know, the less you get it. And if you missed last week, you might be thinking right now, wow, I I picked a great time not to bring my neighbor (laughs) (laughs) for for that message or my family member. But Ecclesiastes... Ecclesiastes is a book of the Bible that is for all of us that are living in a world that is upside down. When we're going through something in life that is just cruel, this is a book that actually shows you we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the solutions. We can't fix it all. And in many ways, the book of Ecclesiastes is the antithesis of Proverbs. It is written by the same author, But as I said, it's going to hit different. And I usually like to give you the main point of the passage. And I like to, when I'm preaching a sermon, I like to support that main point of the passage with the applicational truths from the text. So my outlines are usually very structured and they have a tight, logical progression where each point, you know, starting with an action verb, gives you a takeaway that supports that main point of the text. And if you haven't already figured that out yet, I'm going to tell you right now, that's not how this book unfolds itself. Ecclesiastes is not airtight. It doesn't necessarily have a logical progression. Solomon is going all over the place, you know, taking, taking a path here, taking a path there. And he comes back to his points over and over again. But he doesn't even offer that many solutions. So as we said, Ecclesiastes, the subject is purpose, the feeling is emptiness and the tone is dark. And I gave, you, I gave you some ways to think about Ecclesiastes last week. And if you missed the opener, I suggest you go back and, and look for that if you can and listen to that sermon. But this is a, this is a book that has a, has a meaning and it has a message for those of, a, those of you who are hurting. For those of you who have done the right thing, tried to do the right thing, and it's still not worked out. And I'll offer to you one more way to think about the book of Ecclesiastes, to quote Winston Churchill back in 1939 as he was describing the the USSR, the Soviet Union. He called it a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Okay, And that's also what we're going to have here today in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. It's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. And I'm calling this message, Three Dead End Roads. Now, I know this is a room full of people. We're here at, you know, nine o'clock on Sunday morning. This is a room full of people who have heard sermons about dead end roads uh, from from Scripture. You know how Christians are supposed to think. So a lot of you could probably come up with, just, just by hearing that title, you could probably come up with Three Dead End Roads that aren't going to bring ultimate satisfaction in your life. If you've grown up in the church at all, I would imagine you could come up with a few. So before we even get into the text, let me just tell you what they are. See if you know. Pleasure, intelligence, and success. And Solomon is going to address each and every one of these. Some of it's going to sound familiar, but some of it is not going to sound familiar. If you're not attuned to the message of Ecclesiastes. If you're just thinking in the Proverbs mindset, there's going to definitely be some pieces of this that are not as familiar as the rest. There is a mystery to this. In classic Ecclesiastes form, we're going to come face to face with an enigma, and just when you think you know where it's going, he's going to hit you with a curveball. So that's what we have to look forward to this morning. Let's get into it. Please follow along with me as I read Ecclesiastes, and we'll start by reading the first 11 verses. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see What was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life? I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep them I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun." So, we're going to break down all three of these dead end roads. And the first one is pleasure. And this is the real low hanging fruit for a spiritual person. If you've been at church any length of time, you've heard this one before it's the vanity of self indulgence. A couple of weeks back, I preached a message on the parable of the lost sons. And we saw this in the prodigal son. Solomon here, the writer of this, is the ultimate example of the misery of a rich and famous person. He had everything, yet it didn't fulfill him. And I don't want to go too deep into the weeds on all the stats and and, and everything. You've probably heard, those of you, many of you have heard, the suicide rates, the depression rates, of of rich and famous people. They're higher than the not rich and the not famous people. The people who can buy whatever they want to buy. Money is a funny thing. For people who don't have money, it's everything. For the people who have money, it's nothing. They're just tired of it. They're tired of the whole charade. But Solomon is telling you what every teenager has a hard time swallowing, yet what everyone who has lived a full life and been successful can actually honestly sit down and tell you it's all vanity and striving after the wind. It won't bring you fulfillment and it, and it won't do it the way you thought it would. You can do whatever you want. You can get whatever you want. You can hang, all out, all, hang out all day at the beach and party every night. But when you're finally alone, you feel empty. I will tell you about one psychologist. His name is Daniel Kahneman. He is a pretty brilliant guy. He is the winner of the 2002 Nobel Peace Prize on Economics. And a few years ago, he actually came out with a massive study on pleasure. And he concluded what pretty much every A-list celebrity or rock star has ever shared in a candid interview, it's that money can't buy you contentment. But he went went a step deeper than that, and he talked about the difference between happiness and satisfaction. They're distinct. So think think with me about this. How are these both two different pieces of pleasure, happiness and satisfaction? Well, happiness is a momentary experience that arises spontaneously, and it is fleeting. Meanwhile, satisfaction is a long-term feeling that is built over time and based on achieving goals and building the kind of life that you admire. That should be how you find satisfaction. In Kahneman's research measuring everyday happiness, the experiences that leave people feeling good, he found out that spending time with friends and family was one of the number one ways that people find happiness. Yet, at the same time, those who are focused on long-term goals, trying to achieve satisfaction, they don't prioritize socializing. They don't prioritize those little things that will make them happy. They're busy with the bigger picture. So, Cayman concludes that we're not as interested in happiness as we may claim. He talks about how all of these different things that will bring us happiness we don't necessarily focus on because we're too focused on the bigger picture. And he argues that satisfaction is based mostly on comparisons. Where are your expectations at? Life satisfaction is connected to a large degree on the social yardsticks of achieving goals and meeting expectations. And he notes that money has an influence on life satisfaction, whereas happiness is affected by money only when funds are lacking. So stick with me here. But he's saying that poverty creates suffering, yes. So if you're really, really poor, if you're way down here in the bottom on on the graph, on the charts, yeah, you're not gonna be happy at all. But if you just have your basic needs met, if you have enough for food and clothing, and you can just do a few of the basic necessities that you need to do in life, you actually have enough money to be just as happy as the richest person. Because it's not this linear chart where the more money you have, the happier you get. It's not like that at all, it's actually the opposite. The more money you have, the more money you, that you're dealing with, the more stress you have, the more problems come up. So the more money you have, the less happier you become. And that's a different factor even than the satisfaction scale. Because happiness doesn't necessarily correlate to satisfaction. So once you surpass that low threshold of income, you're, you're in the same boat. And it's all about your expectations from that point forward. Now, I'm going to come back to Caneman later on in this message. But I wanted to just point out that, that difference first. And I want you to hold on to that thought because we're going somewhere with that. But back to the immediate text here. Partying every night can certainly be fun for a season and pleasurable for a season, but where will that get you after a couple years of that? Sick and unhealthy, right? It will leave you more than likely in a place of broken relationships, broken emotionally. So how can you find both happiness and satisfaction? Is it just the perfect formula of adjusting your expectations as some people will say, no, it's not. <laughs> Good luck with that. Now, at the same time, there's still something to it here that, that Solomon is going to get at. But what he is saying is, the mo- this is, this is actually the most obvious takeaway from the book to start out. He's And he's the ultimate example of this. He has his gardens. He has his concerts. He has his parties. He has his women. Verse 10 He says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep it from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. But those things in and of themselves were a dead end road. So here's the enigma of self-indulgence. The easiest way to stop liking something is to get it whenever you want it. Parents, do you hear that? This is what Solomon is teaching all of us. But parents, don't give your kids everything they want. And and we have a world full of adults who grew, grew up this way. They grew up as a kid with instant gratification. And now they're adults, and it's not as cool for mom and dad to buy them everything they want. And they don't have the money for the house they want. And they don't have the money for the car that they want. And they don't even have the money for the clothes that they want. And they're having a hard time dealing with that. Now, for one, the system is really against you <laughs> at this point in our economy. That, that's not helping you out at, uh, at all. But working hard and saving up for you want has actually become, in many degrees, a lost a lost art. You know, and there's a lot of ways you can you can teach this to your kids. There's definitely more than one way. But this is one of the reasons why Julie and I like give our kids an allowance because we want them to actually learn how to use their money wisely. Not just go out, because I mean, they, they get that money and they want to go buy the candy bar and they want to go buy the prime energy drink immediately. Right? And they've done that a couple times. And then they don't have any money for something big that they want or nice that they want. So since there are, we're already going to pay for those shoes, you know, we're already going to do that, why not allow them to learn how to actually see the value of a dollar? not just be able to get it the second I want it, but to save up for something. Single adults. Some of you have disposable income right now. You can just go buy stuff. It's pretty nice, right? You've been waiting a long time for that. Or you don't have mom and dad saying, no, it's not in our budget. No, wait. Now you can go there. I'll never forget the first time I ever went to the grocery store uh, you know, as a bachelor, single, young adult, you know, I'm not just actually going to the store to buy what my mom told me to go buy on, on her grocery list. Like, I'm going into the store myself. And it was, it was a weird feeling, like, whoa, I can buy anything. I I don't remember exactly what I got, but I'm pretty sure I had corn pops in there. I had, and I mean, at the time, I was trying to save up for a ring. So those of you who know me, like, I'm like, I'm not going to buy any snacks. I'm not going to buy any of that junk. I'm just going to buy beans and rice and steak, OK? For those of you who play fantasy football, I went with like the, the scrubs and the studs philosophy. Like, I'll buy the really cheap stuff, get me beans and rice, I'll get my complete protein there, and then I'll get some really good meat at the same time. And the rest, I mean, people will give you snacks. Like, you can always figure the rest of that stuff out, right? Desserts are everywhere. Like, you who needs to buy that? But it was a weird feeling to walk into the grocery store to be able to do whatever I wanted to do. Enough about me here. And I just want, I want the young adults in the room to think, like, look, I, I could buy all this stuff. I could buy what I want right now. But over time, even the shiniest thing fades. Eventually, it ends up on the shelf. Then it ends up in the closet. Then it ends up in the garage, right? And then where, where does it go? the garbage, <laughs> from the garage to the garbage, right? That's the way life works. But this isn't just a lesson for the single adults. You can be married and still very tempted to go do your own thing and find happiness in your own hobby or recreation. I don't want to step on too many toes here this morning, but, but you may think, well, I know how I can be happy. I'll just go play golf for five hours, four days a week. That'll, that'll be great. That, that'll, that'll fulfill me. That'll make me happy. No, it, it won't. <laughs> it may sound like it. But if that's, if that's what you're living for, of course not. I used to work at a golf course in high school. Some of the saddest people I've ever come across were rich men who had the golf club membership, and they were just out there every day Drinking alcohol, playing golf, getting angry at their scores, breaking their clubs, and going back into the clubhouse. It's pretty sad, to be honest. The easiest way to stop liking something is getting it whenever you want it. That's the way we work. That's the enigma of self-indulgence. But ironically and almost cruelly, the opposite of self-indulgence won't satisfy you either. Notice that Solomon is going out of his way here to remind us that he's still wise. In verse three, he says, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. Verse nine, also my wisdom remained with me. It's like he was testing this out. He had had the reasoning still there. He still had his wisdom. He's like, I'm just gonna go for it. I'm, I'm the most powerful, the richest, the most famous person in the world. I'm smarter than everyone else. I can actually test this out. Will hedonism actually fulfill me? And the answer was a resounding no. So then he flips the switch, and now it's the, it's the next stage. It's a different road, but it's also the same story. Number two, the vanity of living wisely. Read verses 12 through 17 with me. I know that surprised some of you. Just think about it. The vanity of living wisely? Is this in the Bible? What are we, what are we talking about here? Verse 12, so I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after the wind." Now, this right here is where a lot of people, good Christian people, really get hung up, really get hung up. I mean, I'm living according to Proverbs. I made the best decision I could. I tried so hard to obey God. Isn't it supposed to work out for me now? Yet here I am, I sacrificed everything, and this person over here who didn't sacrifice a thing, they just did exactly what they wanted to do, they end up with the same blessing, and I am stuck over here without that blessing. Their life looks better than my life right now. And I've been trying to obey God. They've been just fulfilling their own desires. What is this? Why is this still so hard? I told you some of this was going to sound familiar, some of it's not, because here's what happens. Verses 12 and 13 they sound right. As a matter of fact, verse 13 sounds like it come it could come right out of Proverbs. Look at it again, verses 12 and 13. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can a man do who comes after the king, only what has already been done? Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than in darkness. Yes, of course I get that. That makes sense to me. That fits in my box. Absolutely true. But that's as far as many Christians will go. They will stop right there in verse thirteen, and they will expect their life to just follow this pattern. Everything's going to click into pay, click into pace, click into place if I make the right decision. And even this point right here brings dissonance. What do you even mean the vanity of living wisely? It's not supposed. That's not the way the formula is supposed to go. Maybe it didn't catch you off guard when I first said it because we're in this series with Ecclesiastes and you already you know where the drift of this message is going. Yeah, we are talking about pursuing intelligence as if getting educated will solve all of your problems. Yeah, that's a dead end road. If that's it, But we live in the information age. Most of you can pull out your phone, and in five seconds, you can find the articles that I referenced earlier. We are very, very educated. But here's another enigma for you. The more advanced our technology gets, the more, let's just say, unintelligent people get. So what is going on with all of this? It's like education is good, but education still isn't really the answer either. What has all this technology done to us? Can we write better? Can we communicate better? No. No, we can't. Do we know more about problems in the world than ever before? Yes. We know about all the problems, all the problems that we used to never even be concerned about. It's all in our face every single day. But the information age doesn't teach you how to think correctly. You can't learn that from a screen. It's either coming from your parents or your teacher or you're going to have to figure it out on yourself. And a lot of people still do. But it's hard for you to learn how to think when you're becoming dependent on a tool or when you're programmed to think the way Big Brother wants you to think. So I hope we can all agree that education is not your answer to every problem. And you're not going to hear that from the world. The world of intelligentsia wants you to be subservient to education. If you don't get an education, you have no hope. Well, first of all, there's more than one way to get an education, just like there's more than one way to think. But please don't misunderstand me here on this point. I'm all for education. Every Christian should be. Education is incredibly important. Last week, we just prayed over our teachers, and we have a lot of them in our, in our church, and I love that. Education is immensely powerful, and as Christians, we should always, always value education. But education cannot change the heart. Only Jesus Christ can do that. He's the only one who can make a crooked stick straight. So learning right from wrong is necessary. Understanding how life works, how the body functions, how people think, all of it is so important. And that is actually a path that should be heavily trodden. Please wear that path out. But even if you know more than you need to know, if you could stay on that path and you never align yourself with the path of pursuing God and his glory and you never take the detour off that path, on that road, to eternity, things of eternal worth, you are still ended up ending up in a dead end full of vanity. This is where the enigma starts to, starts to take shape. Living wisely is great. Getting education, wonderful. Making the right choices, absolutely. Of course, your, your, your life, for the most part, is going to benefit. And it's going to improve. And your quality of life will be much higher because you made wise decisions, of course. So this isn't a terrible path to take. You should go down this road for a while. But if it's the only thing that you're focused on and it's your only path and you never look to actually making this road detour into eternity, that's where you get into trouble. And in step with Solomon, we just had a spinoff into a whole nother subject. It was a, a whole nother subpoint. I know some of you are like trying to follow me right now. Um, I'm going to try to blame it on Solomon and the way this book works, but I'm going to do my best here. Let's go back, shift back to his original thought that we started with. Before we talked about how education is good, but not the answer It's crucially important. It's just not everything, right? Before we talked about that, we were talking about something else. Do you even remember what it was? We left off in verse 13. Then I saw that there's more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. And that's as far as a lot of Christians will go in their theological headspace. But Solomon takes it one step further. Look at verse 14 with me. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, that is also a vanity. And verse 16 goes on to say, in the days to come, all will have been forgotten. The wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after the wind. Here's another way to think about this point. And I have a riddle and a slash enigma for each one of the points today, each one of these paths. But with intelligence or wisdom or education, whatever strand you resonate the most with, you can never get enough of it to bring fulfillment. Solomon was the wisest man the world has ever known, but here he is, hating his life. And we all function this way. We think this way. I already know too much, but please just tell me a little bit more about that. I know enough. I know enough, but I still want all those juicy details. Maybe if I just know a little more, that will make me feel better. Maybe if I just understood things on a deeper level, that will put an end to my woes. Have you ever been there where you've already heard enough, but you still will open your ear to hear a little bit more dirt on that person? Why? Why do we live this way? Well, for a lot of reasons. For some people, it's power. The more I know, the more I can manipulate things to my advantage. For others, it's pride. I want to know all the details because their shortcomings will make me feel better about myself. It can even be insecurity. You lack confidence. You want to be respected. So you're just pursuing down this path. If I, if I'm, if I do the right thing, say the right things, know all the, all the correct answers, I'll be respected. But all of this is kind of like this message. It's winding, it's tossing you about to and fro. Around and around we go. I already know too much. I'm in over my head. I mean, I could almost be an accessory at this point. No one can know that I know this, but tell me more. And yet it will all be forgotten. Time and chance will happen to them all. And this right here, full circle now, is what Christians have a hard time with. Here's how this point began. We took a long, winding path to get here, but here we are. I made the best choices I could, yet I'm still down here, and they're way up there. Life is unjust. We're back to that point, remember? What is with this? What on earth? Why did this person in my life, this person that I looked up to, have to fail me so poorly? What did I do to deserve this? I was trying to do the right thing and live wisely. I actually did what they told me I should do, and now they're ignoring it, and they're doing something else that is breaking my heart. This is a really hard aspect of life. And in classic Solomon answer, Solomon fashion, he's not going to give you an answer right right here, right now. That's the vanity of life under the sun, it doesn't always make sense. Not everything is just. Not everything is as it should be. And that's just simply life in this fallen world. Solomon not only doesn't give you a solution, he doubles down on the unfairness of it all. Look at verse 18 with me. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. I know you wanted me to give you a a nice pat on the back and a nice like truth to make you feel better at the end of verse two, but we just don't have it, Okay. We're we're moving right into point three, the vanity of hard work. Now I'll tell you what, like I read this, I'm not quite there yet. I'm just not. Uh, I'm just now starting to work on my retirement. Uh, you know, tried for a long time to put a little bit away, and it was like embarrassingly low. Um, so I I can't really resonate with Solomon here, who has vast riches. And um, I'm, and he's thinking, now I'm going to hand it off to this person. Who knows if they're going to be wise or a fool? Like, great. We'll see what they do with it. They didn't earn it. They didn't work for it. And I'm handing it all over to them. That's a weird place to be. I've never experienced that. Um, getting a Bible degree and then not going straight into a full-time ministry role is ex- isn't exactly the way to make bank, okay? Okay. Uh, <laughs> And I would be lying to you if I, I haven't had the thought more than once, if I just got my bachelor's degree in something other than youth ministry, I would have probably made a lot, more hour, you know, a lot better hourly wage for a lot of years of my life when I was a bivocational <laughs> pastor. But, what, but I'm trying to be wise with my money now. I'm trying to save. One of my goals is to pass on an inheritance to my children's children because that's also in the Bible. It's a worthy goal. Don't forget that one in Proverbs. So yeah, I can't really fathom this dread of having all this wealth, having this feeling, but I have talked to people who've been there. And I know we have a young church, but we have some people in the room that are also there. You're in this place. It's a legitimate dilemma for a lot of people. Yeah, I I am thankful that we don't just have people like me (laughs) That we have more seasoned saints who actually have a robust 401k. You know, we may be a five-year-old church, but, but we aren't all a babe in the woods, right? Like some of you out there, like you are feeling this to a certain degree. And Solomon does actually have a word for you. But please hang tight because I want you, I want to talk about the rest of us first before we get to that. Those of you who are like losing sleep at night, thinking about what your money or your company is going to do for the next guy. Some of you just need to hang tight. The rest of us, everyone else, look at verses 22 and 23. Look at those next two verses. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. Anyone else feel that? Is that where a few of you are? Here's my last enigma for you. And and this this is actually where I got the idea to add like a riddle to each one of the points because I came across this meme this week. And it was a meme about Ecclesiastes. I stumbled upon it and it gave me the idea to do this. But here it is. It sums up this point. All I do is work and sleep, but I have no money and I'm always tired. Any millennials out there that feel that one? <laughs> Isn't that like the millennial motto? <laughs> All I do is work and sleep. But I have no money and I'm always tired. And Gen Z, I know you know the millennials are like your older, cooler siblings at this point. At least we want to think that. You don't think that, but we do. Uh, we're just a few years ahead of you, and I know you have your own problems, but we have the same parents. We have the same economy handed to us, you know, from the boomer generation. It's not all bad, uh, but, but Gen Z, you know, you're not the wild Gen X aunt or uncle either, who've actually turned out to be pretty chill after all. Of all the generations that get Ecclesiastes, it might just be Gen X, I would say, But we can talk about that over coffee some other time, okay? Just stick with me here. But I know this feeling is is what a lot of us are feeling. All I do is work and sleep, but I have no money. I'm always tired. Now, don't let that be the only thing you remember from this message, please. Because this next verse is probably, in my opinion, the best verse in this entire chapter. Please don't look yet, though. One other thing first. (laughs) Remember, we're talking about all these dead-end roads. And even being successful and wealthy will fail to bring you lasting contentment, pleasure, intelligence, success. In and of themselves, they won't take you all the way to the final destination that you want to go but they are still an important leg of the journey, and that's what we're going to see in this next verse. All three of these, if channeled correctly, will enhance your journey to eternity. Life above the sun, not under the sun. Because as a Christian, you can't just live under the sun. It's all vanity. Remember, we're living above the sun. We're looking to the sun, Jesus Christ. That puts everything in perspective. So look at verse 24. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. So we've just spent the last 30 minutes in a very depressing, very dark, everything is awful sort of passage, have we not? The vanity of pleasure, the the, the, the dead end road of even working hard. What? Like, even at, even living wisely, there's vanity in that too. This has been one punch after the next. We finally have a chance to breathe and this seems almost like it came out of nowhere. Solomon saying, there is nothing better for a person. Wait, you just said all this stuff was vanity, striving after the wind, that you should eat and drink and find enjoyment in your toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Will you look at that? Just when we thought it was all a dark tragedy, Solomon gives you the other half of the enigma. Here's the good news. Find pleasure in what you enjoy. You're allowed to do that. God actually has you going down these other roads for a season, for a reason. Because you can find enjoyment in those gifts. All this is from the hand of God. Work doesn't have to be grueling. You can find enjoyment in your toil. Find pleasure in what you love. Learn about this world. Learn about people. Fill your mind with knowledge about truth and wisdom. Work hard and enjoy what you do. I told you I was going to come back to our psychologist, David Kahneman, for one more illustration of all this. But something else he said about satisfaction is that it is retrospective. Happiness occurs in real time, and that's absolutely true. Satisfaction is retrospective. It's it's not necessarily spontaneous in real time. But to have true pleasure, lasting peace in life, we have to have both happiness and satisfaction intertwined. We have to have those two pieces working together. And it's really, really hard to do that if everything is just under the sun. If I'm only on that road, and I'm on the road of hard work, and I'm on the road of success, and I'm on the road of or pleasure, if you're just on that road under the sun, it is going to be striving after the wind. Yet, in Cayman's work, he found that people tell themselves a story about their lives, which may or may not add up to a pleasing tale. Because a lot of times, happiness was just missing from it. In our day-to-day experiences, they can yield positive feelings that may not advance that larger story. Memory is enduring. Feelings pass. Many of our happiest moments are not preserved. They're not all caught on camera. They just happen, and then they're gone. Take going on vacation, for example. According to what Kahneman is saying here, is a person who knows that they can go on a trip and have a good time but at the same time their memories will be erased and they can't take any photos, they probably won't choose to go on that trip at all. You just won't even do it. The reason for this is that we do things in anticipation of creating satisfying memories. This is why when you're at the family reunion and everybody wants to just have fun and jump in the pool, you still have like grandma saying, we have to take a photo. And you have to stand there for, for 10 minutes and take like 100 photos, right? Because we wanna preserve this and create a memory out of this that will bring satisfaction. This is also why you can go on vacation and you know what? Not every moment in that vacation is gonna be happy, right? I mean you've seen the people at Disney World, not everybody at Disney World is smiling all the time, right? Especially, you know, if you're on vacation and you have kids, there's gonna be a lot of unhappy moments in that vacation. But the satisfaction comes in the fact that, wait, we did this. We actually had a memory, and we experienced that. Not every moment has to be happy for it to still be a good memory. So what does this mean for you? What does this have to do with this text? Let's go back to what Solomon says. We can feel happiness in the company of others. Having long-term success is is a necessary component, but far too often, that's the only piece we focus on. So what Solomon is saying is, if I'm just on this one track, and I'm stuck on this one track, and I'm not looking beyond the sun, whoo, it's vanity. It's striving after the wind. You can even see this in our social media-driven culture today. You know, It's like, I got to take a photo. I have to post everything great that's happening. And I love posting. Like, do that. Like, you know, the way things are today, you can even post those photos and then they can come back in your timeline and you can remember it that way. That brings enjoyment. You can create the Shutterfly book. Do all those things. Like, as, as the Lord leads you to do. I'm not trying to down those things. But what we see here in verse 24, look at it again. For there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in all his toil. God wants you to enjoy those things. They're not gonna bring ultimate satisfaction in and of themselves, but he has given them to you in this life to find joy. If we overemphasize the long view and miss the spontaneity and the little things in the moment, you're missing the full enjoyment of what God has for you in your work, in your education, and even in your pleasure. Worship team, you can come up. As they come up, I want everyone to look at the last verse, verse 26. "For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the busyness of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and is striving after the wind. And here's the main point, again, of this entire message. And I love chapter two because it is an enigma and it is a masterpiece. But there's three dead-end roads here. The vanity of self-indulgence. The easiest way to stop liking something is to get it whenever you want it. The vanity of living wisely. I already know too much, but just tell me a little bit more. The vanity of hard work. All I do is work and sleep, yet I'm still tired and I have no money. What is Solomon really saying about all of this? You can never find fulfillment in any of these things alone, but you can find joy through these things when they lead you to God. When you're walking with God and you're focused on Christ, he who is above the sun, and you know that your life isn't just about the here and now, it isn't just, we're not just living for fleeting happy moments. And okay, I gotta, I gotta get a hit on the next happy moment. What's gonna bring me joy? I can, I can take the plastic off this box of this new toy and have a really good rush. This feels great for a moment. And now I gotta do it again because that's the only thing that brings me satisfaction. No, not, not at all. We've already discussed that satisfaction comes into place when you achieve a long-term goal, when you have that success over time. But you have to, to find true pleasure You have to intertwine those two things, and you can't intertwine those two things unless you go to God, unless he's in the equation. You can travel down these roads as an avenue that gets you to your final destination. Just don't make those your final destination. And this is the way I I want you to think about it. You know, in, in Ecclesiastes, I've, I've mentioned this quite a bit. This isn't a book that gives you the ultimate answers, the ultimate solutions. It just doesn't. As a matter of fact, this book points out that in life, a lot of times we don't have the final outcome all laid out for us. A lot of that we're not even going to see until we're on the other side of the sun in eternity. Focus less on the final outcome and find joy in the process. And when I say focus less on the final outcome, I'm not talking about Jesus Christ. I'm talking about solving it here and now in the moment. The final outcome of I got to get my retirement in place. I got to achieve all my goals. I got to make sure my kids are, are happy. That final outcome is only going to make you stressed out. That final outcome will bring weariness. It will bring weariness. It will be striving after the wind. But you can still find joy in the process when it's not just about solving it all and fixing everyone. It's actually about just knowing God and walking with him through it all. As I walk with him on those paths that lead to eternity, I find joy and peace. You are made for more than gathering and collecting. You are made to shine his glory. And you can do that through your work. You can do that in your pleasure. You can do that in your success. When Jesus Christ is the center of your life. this message from God's Word. If you have any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.